0: Hey, good morning. How you doing? It's, yes, it's great to see you. Um, I don't know. Do you, you guys like that new song that we did? Wow. I mean, I, I am so moved every time I hear that song and uh, just that, you know, that that truth that if God is for us, who could be against us? And um, I thought maybe uh, in, in, the, in light of that, maybe before we get started, we could pray, ask God to be with us as we as we study his word together. So let's pray. And Father, we want to thank you for that very truth, that if you are with us, who could be against us? We think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for that truth. Be with us in this very moment now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to tell you something. Um, oh, I, I got to tell you this. Um, normal. I get 40 minutes. That's how long I teach. If you wonder, like, well, it seems like two hours. Well, I get 40 minutes. That's how long I get a week. And um, I've got probably about two hours worth of stuff to share with you. And uh, so I'm going to talk very fast. And uh, so if you ever get the CD, you just tune it, turn it down a little bit and you'll get you'll hear me at regular speed. So anyway, uh, when I was in the 10th grade, my friends and I decided to do this BB gun war, uh, it was kind of like, it's kind of like laser tag, except with real ammo. And, uh, cause that just shooting BB guns at your friends just seems like a good idea when you're in the 10th grade. And, um, you know, I, I, would never been to one of these things before. I did not even own my own BB gun, which to my dismay, I, I was shocked when I found out most of my friends did. I'm like, where have you guys, what are you guys, I've been hiding that from me. Well, anyway, um, we, we decided to go, it was in this wooded area in Coral Springs where I went to high school and, um. So we got there, I got there, my friends were all there, and I didn't know what to, what do you wear to, like, what's the dress code for a BB gun war? I wore a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans, I didn't really know what what else to wear, and um, if I had a red bandana, I would have been Bruce Springsteen. Um, But anyway, so I, I, I get there, and I was shocked to see my friends who were relatively normal, like, totally geared up for this thing. These guys were wearing camo, they had boots, they had goggles, one guy even had his face all painted. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, like it was like he was like Rambo, you know, uh, except tenth grade version. And uh, I mean, they had like their high-powered BB gun rifles. And um, I had this white shirt on that I didn't realize it at the time. Once we got into the woods, I realized that it actually glowed in the dark. Uh, so you can imagine, like everybody's trying to blend in with the shrubs. I'm like the guy. I'm like a human glow stick walking around. So you can imagine what happened for the next three hours. I just get pelted with BBs. In fact, um, someone was kind enough to give me like these little goggles. They were like little swimming ones. That's all that was left. So I get these little goggles on and then um, somebody hits me in the face with a BB in my eyebrow and it was actually went into my skin. And when I got home, I'm like, this really hurts. And I'm like, what is that? And I go and I popped it and I, like, a piece of chunk of metal came out like a BB came out. Only time in my life I've ever felt like the Terminator was right then, like a the little metal coming out. You know, you know, I'm like, man, maybe I am like an... Anyway, uh, but it was like the weirdest thing. Now, now here's the reason why I tell you the story. It, it, it's because, listen, sometimes what you're wearing can make all the difference. Now, once again, I'm not talking in this case about, you know, jeans and jackets or shirts and shoes. I'm talking about armor. I'm talking about the spiritual armor that's available to every believer, Now, when I was first a Christian, I I remember reading this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, what we're going to cover. And I remember thinking, like, to put on the armor of God. And I thought it'd be like, oh, that's kind of like a cute thing for kids, but it doesn't really seem to have a lot of application for me. And, you know, what I learned was this is that when I actually got into understanding what this meant, um, I realized that this armor really makes all the difference in the world. Um, Because some of us are going through life, thinking that life is like a cruise ship. How many of you have been on a cruise before? And that includes like Casino Princesa, you know, at Bayside, Miami, if you remember those commercials. Uh, Now, that includes that. Uh, You don't have to actually admit you've been on that, but you know what that is. All right. So, but here's the deal. Uh, (laughs) Some stuff just isn't in the notes, okay? Um, But here's the thing, is that you've been on a cruise. Now, people like cruises. I like cruises. Now, you know, you've you got excursions during the day to have fun. At night, you've got this mediocre entertainment. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got all you can eat. They've got, and then not only is the food all you can eat, but then they have the midnight buffet. Like, for people who have not been able to pack it in all day long, uh, you, can, uh, you can show up at, if you, like, get insomnia... Well, what could actually help my insomnia? Oh, I know, a triple cheeseburger. That could probably help me. And uh, so anyway, so you got that. But here's the thing. Life is not like a cruise ship. And and, and listen, when we think it's like a cruise ship, you're walking into the BB gun war with a glow-in-the-dark t-shirt. Instead, life is a little more like a battleship. And when we start recognizing that, here's what happens. Life becomes very different for us because we start really engaging into what real life is all about. And that's why this message is about rethinking life and really rethinking what life is really about, because I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul in this book of Ephesians, as we started this, believe it or not, about 14 weeks ago, we've been working our way through. It's all about rethinking your rethinking everything. And if you're going to make a change in your life, you've actually got to before you actually make the change in doing, you've got to start thinking differently. And once you start thinking differently, it starts translating into your actions And that's what this whole book of Ephesians is all about. And the Apostle Paul is going to close the book of Ephesians with some of the most powerful teaching that he's done so far as he starts talking about the spiritual attacks that we face and the struggle against sin that we still deal with. Because once you recognize that you and I are engaged in a spiritual struggle, a spiritual battle, that there's a spiritual reality that Pastor John talked about last time, listen, everything begins to change. And if, if we refuse to accept it, that's when we end up a lot like me in the 10th grade, walking in, not prepared for a battle that was going on. And listen, I never stood a chance because I wasn't prepared for what was really happening. I think all of us would recognize an answer to the question in the affirmative if I said, you know, have we ever had a struggle with with a particular sin and said, I just can't seem to get victory in this area. Or maybe you've, had, you've met someone who's just antagonistic about your faith. When I first became a Christian, people, were, uh, people in my fa- some people in my family were very antagonistic about the fact that I had become a Christian. And even though, though as nice as I tried to be and as Christ-like as I tried to be to them, it just didn't matter. They were just upset. They were angry. They were antagonistic. And you couldn't understand why. I couldn't figure out why. And listen, if you've experienced that the way that I've experienced that, then here's what you know. Then you realize that maybe this spiritual struggle that we, um, that we talk about is, is for real. And maybe you've recognized some of this war more than you realize. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to show us is how to be victorious, how to live a victorious Christian life, seeing beyond the physical to the spiritual realities of life. And what we realize is, is that life isn't just about what we see, but there's so much happening spiritually that affects what we see physically. And once we recognize that, things begin to change. How we view people begins to change. How we view life begins to change. How we view view circumstances and situations and problems and difficulties all begins to change because we're realizing that there's something much, much bigger than just the moment, than just the situation that we're dealing with. There's something even more than just the physical. There's the spiritual that we have to recognize. And so Paul's going to begin in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, which is where I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, where we're going to begin. Here's what he says. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having and having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to tell you about rethinking life this morning. And the first thing that I want to tell you is this, is that life is about standing for truth. It's about standing for truth. Um, my, I have a 13-month-old son, Alexander, and my son is walking everywhere. Uh, we were on vacation last week. We took, went uh, for a couple of days up to Disney World. And this kid walked Disney World, like, you know, everywhere. I mean, the, the whole place he, he was walking. And here's the thing that's so interesting about, uh, about walking is uh, not only that he doesn't want to be carried that much because he wants his independence, but the thing that my wife and I have been having this conversation now, we have two kids, so for about three years we've been having this conversation, and that is how kids actually start walking. Now, I grew up because, uh, you know, I'm Cuban, which means I'm half insane. Um, and, and so, and we're still, the jury's still out about the other half, but uh, here, here's what happens. Here, here's what like a typical Cuban parent does to help their kids walk. They will give, the, they'll take the Cuban mop. If you don't know what the Cuban mop is, go to Publix, talk to somebody, you get that figured out. They'll take the Cuban mop and they'll have the kid hold on to the end of the Cuban mop. And then they just walk the kid around the house until he falls down. Then they'll yell at him to get up, you know, or something, because that's what we do. And then they'll keep walking him around. Now, so when Dander started, like, walking a little bit, I thought, well, it's time to get out the Cuban mop. And my wife was like, could you please leave that thing alone? And I'm like, why? And she says, because that's not how kids actually start to walk. And I'm like, well, there's hundreds of years of data. The, an island about 90 miles of here that says that that's the way kids walk. And she says, that's not the way kids start walking. And she says, Xander will not start walking. And here, here's what she says. This is, and this is, um, it, by the way, it turns out she's right. But that's another story. Um, but uh, she says, when Xander is able to stand by himself, that's when he'll be able to walk. He'll take steps and hold on to things and all that, but he will not be able to walk until he's sitting, until he's laying on the ground and he's able to lift himself up and stand. The day that he's able to stand is the day that he'll be able to walk. Sure enough. Now, I have no use for a mop. So, But that's the, that's, the whole thing, that's the whole thing that happens. And listen, what's true for him is true for us as well. That if you want to be able to walk with God, here's what it takes. It takes the ability to stand. If you want to be a man or woman of God, here's what it takes. The ability to stand. To stand up for truth, to stand up for what you believe, to stand against opposition. But here's the thing that I've learned about standing, is that standing is a matter of balance. And here's what keeps us balanced, is truth. That's what keeps us balanced. Not our ideas, not our pet doctrines, it's God's truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul would write these words. He would say, for we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. And Paul uses this term stand in these verses that we've just read. He says in verse 12, um, uh, uh, let me see, oh, verse 11, sorry. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then verse 14, he says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And the issue is this is that Paul is ending this letter and he's talking about, listen, if you want to walk with God, it's going to take the ability to stand. And by the way, the stand that he's talking about is not the casual stand that some people have. It's not the stand that, you know, your teenager has when you want to take a family picture. And he's like, oh, you know, it's like he's on his feet, but he's laying down in his mind. You know, not that stand. It's not a loitering type of stand. The stand that the Apostle Paul is using is a military term. It's about standing at attention. It's about standing that you are ready. You are ready for a battle that's going to happen. And see, that's the thing that we need to remember is that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. Now, we would look at it as maybe a little more like house arrest is what we would call it today. Uh, but he was living in a home and he could receive guests, but he had a Roman guard chained to him. So as he's writing this letter, he's got a Roman guard chained to him who's just a couple of feet away. And that's why he starts using this imagery of a soldier, about a soldier having certain type of gear to be able to engage in the battle in which he is, is currently engaged in. And here's a picture of a uh, of a Roman soldier. Um, and this is what a uh, very similar to this is what the Roman soldier that was chained to Paul uh, would have looked like, by the way. Um, I was doing some research this week and there are websites where you can actually buy uh, all of this gear. So if you say I'm going to put on I'm going to literally put on the armor of God. I'm going to get the helmet and the shield and the belt and the whole deal. You can get that. You got eight or nine hundred bucks to spare. I can suit you up. Um, now um, I was th- th- and there's pictures of like grown men in the Roman soldier gear and I didn't Actually, to bring the pictures over, because if I showed you the pictures, I'd be forced to mock them. So, I, but I'm too mature for that. I've grown. I'm much more sophisticated than to degrade this time, than to mock people who dress up like odd characters. Although I will show you one. Let me show you this, because um, this is you can choose your armor on one of these websites. So you start out with a man in his skivvies and then you choose the gear that you want. So you say, well, I start here in my underoos, but I'm going to want a shirt. Uh, so you then, and then you just like click that over and then you can start with the infantry. You know, you can be in the infantry and in the cavalry, but I'm in the Lord's army. But that's another thing. That's another song. Um, but anyway, so you can start with this. Well, maybe I don't want that. I want the red T-shirt. You can kind of go with this whole thing. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, this is kind of like, are you guys familiar with American Girl? You know what that is? It's kind of like American Girl for dorks. It's kind of like what this is. Um, if you don't know what American Girl is, you're like, maybe you're the dork. Maybe. Um, but anyway, he starts out talking about the, the, to gird yourself with the belt of truth. We have a belt here. Um, this is the belt that they actually sell on the website. So if you're like, what should I wear to that party? 80 bucks. And I'll put you in that belt. No, it'll be nice. And, um, here's, I think we have someone here wearing the belt. Um, that his head has been cut off, um, for some reason. Anyway, because he, it just, I would be forced to mock him, and I don't want to mock him. Anyway, can we remove him? Thank you. Uh, thanks. Um, so, but here's the thing is that, here's what Paul says. He says, gird yourself with truth, gird your waist with truth. He says, to put on the... now I'm guessing, and I'm just going out on a limb. That gird yourself is probably not a term that you use regularly. Like someone calls you on the phone, like, what's up? And then, or as I answer the phone, Oigle. And, uh, cause that's how my grandmother answers the phone. And, uh, and so, and if, you know, call me sometime and that's what you hear, Oigel. And, uh, and then they'll say, and, and <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I, I really do. I, someone, someone had called me someone from my staff who called me and never called me. They're like, Bob, is that you? And I'm like. You yeah, know, anyway, that was really me, though. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> some stuff just isn't in the notes. Um, but you just but if you if you come it, like, hey, what are you doing? And you if you said, oh, I'm girding myself, people would be like, well, just hope you feel better, you know, and, but, you know, girding yourself like what does that even mean? But in the in the in, in ancient culture, girding yourself was a very common phrase. What, um, well, let me not. In fact, let me do this. Let me have you watch this to kind of explain it.
1: In ancient times in the Middle East, men traditionally wore a robe as part of their everyday attire. The robe is not to be confused with a dress or muumu. It was a practical adaptation from a desire to appear modest and to keep cool in a warm climate. This everyday attire, however, did present some practical challenges. For example, if he had to lift something heavy requiring him to squat or to bend his legs providing a strong lifting base, the robe would prove to be a limitation. Or if he wanted to play a game involving running or kicking a ball, the robe would limit his range of motion. Or if he were attacked by a wild animal. When he wanted to accomplish something difficult, these limitations led to the phrase, gird up your loins, or gird up your loincloth. First, a man would reach between his legs and grab the backside of his robe and pull it upward toward his waist. Next, the robe would be tucked into the man's belt, securing it. After a man would gird up his loins, he would have better mobility, like squatting to lift, running in place kicking a ball, and standing in a wide-stance defensive posture. Seeing a man who has girded up his loins was a common sight in the ancient world. Although able to move about with greater freedom, he looked ridiculous, as if he were wearing a diaper. This gave way to what we refer to as pants.
0: So now you will be able to gird up your loins whenever you want to. So, but the thing is this, is that when someone was girding yourself was really about being ready. It was about engaging in in service. The apostle Peter would say this, he would say, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus girded himself. When did he gird himself? Let me read this to you in the Gospel of John, chapter thirteen. It says, "Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God was going to God. Rose from supper, laid aside His garments, took a towel, and girded Himself. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which He was girded. You see, being girded is is about being ready." In this case, it was about serving others. It was about being, being ready for what it is that God brought to you. And too, too many times, we're unprepared and we're not ready. And we're thinking like, well, I really want God to do something, or I really want to do something for God. Well, when are you going to do? Well, I don't know. At some point, I'm going to serve the Lord. When? At some point, I'm going to really get serious about Scripture and really get it in my heart. When? Oh, I, at, some, at some point, something's going to happen that's going to drive me uh, to do this. And listen... While we're waiting for all the stars to align for something to happen, our life is passing us by. And we'll wait our whole life waiting for for, for something to kind of show us that it's the time. Uh, You know, when I was, my wife and I were just dating. We've been dating for about three years. And I knew, I mean, I knew after we'd been dating a month that this is the woman that I was going to marry. But the thing was this, is that I I just didn't know when. And I, I didn't, you know, as... I just kind of figured that someday I would wake up and I would just know that that's the day that I was supposed to ask her. Uh, and, and, and that I would, you know, there would just be this day that I knew that I was like mature enough as a Christian and that I was, you know, mature enough as a man to be ready to, to, to ask her to marry me. And, uh, and I just wondered, I was in college at the time and, and one of the guys that sat next to me in one of my classes, he was telling me that he had been dating a girl for about four months and um, he had asked her to, to, to marry him. And, uh, and I remember thinking like, you got engaged? Like you? You're an idiot. You know how did you get engaged? I mean, once again, I was very, I was unsophisticated back then. I would never say that now, even though he's pretty much pretty much was. Uh But you know, but then, and I remember thinking like, and he, and I'm like, so how did how did it happen? He's like, well, I, I went to the store and I bought a ring and then I went to her house. I'm like, that, but there, wasn't there a sign? I remember thinking like, so what happened? You know what what you know what was it? You see one of the rings on Saturn? Is that one? You know, nothing. I just realized this is the woman I want to marry, and that was it. And I realized, like, you know, if I were still waiting for a sign, I'd still be single. I mean, but there wasn't a sign. You see, and that's why girding yourself is about being ready. It's not about saying, oh, sometime, someday, somewhere. It's about saying, I'm going to be ready now. And that's why Paul says this. He says, I want you to gird yourself with truth, and I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, um, we have a picture of the breastplate. Um, now I will tell you this. Now the breastplate was this area. It just was supposed to cover the torso, um, and cover the vital organs. My favorite part of the breastplate though, I'll show you here on this side was, is the area specifically for the belly button. Um, like, I don't know why they needed to let people know, like, we want to hurt him in his belly button. Where is his belly button? It's right there. Like where everyone else's is, you know, anyway, that's just the weirdest thing. But here's the thing. Um, but the reason is this, he says to, to, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why is that? One, because the Bible says we need to guard our heart, for it is, for it is the wellspring of life. But Paul, what Paul is talking about, uh, and we say, well, what kind of righteousness is he saying? Is it my own righteousness? Is that what he's talking about? That's not what he's referring to. It's not our own righteousness. Righteousness. If you want to know what the Bible says about righteousness, uh, our own righteousness, it's, in, uh, it's on your notes. It says this in Isaiah 64. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is, are like filthy rags. Now, I do not mean to be disgusting, but the term filthy rags in Hebrew that, that refers to our righteousness is literally in Hebrew a garment of menstruation. That's what it's referring to. So that's what God thinks of our righteousness, which isn't much. But the Bible talks about two types of righteousness. Now, this is where I need you to really focus for a minute, because this is going to get a little, you know, we're need to fire on all eight cylinders here for a minute. Um, but here's the thing that's important. The Bible talks about two types of righteousness, positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you say, I cannot save myself, I am not perfect, Uh, I, I do not deserve heaven. I do not deserve anything good from God. And so what I do is I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for me, who was buried, who rose again from the dead so that I could have my sins forgiven and be connected to God and have an eternity with him. What God does at that moment, even though we are imperfect, fallen people who have sinned and fallen short of God's standard and God's glory, God does this. He says, okay, even though because of your faith and trust in me, I'm going to give you my righteousness. We don't earn the righteousness, but positionally he gives it to us. Now, let me explain it this way. This is seen in the life of Abraham. God promises to give him a son, even though Abraham is more than 90 years old. His wife is, uh, is about as along in years as well. And even though his body is past the time of having children, his wife's body is past the time of having children, when God says, I'm going to give you a son, here's what the Bible says, that Abraham believed God. And yet here, and, and here's what happens. This is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says that Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. Positionally, he was given righteousness. Now let me show you what uh, the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Romans. Romans. Um, He would say these words. He would say in Romans chapter 4, he would say, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, for whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Was Abraham perfect? No, he wasn't. Read the book of Genesis. You'll find all the mistakes that he made. But here's the thing that you'll find. Are we perfect? No, we're not. You know you. I know me. None of us are perfect. But the victory was found in realizing that righteousness is never about being good enough. Righteousness is about believing God. And that's that's when it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's positional righteousness. Practical righteousness is something else. Practical righteousness is actually living out the Christian faith. It's not just doing good works to be saved because you and I can never do enough good works to be saved. It's not about being good enough. But people who are saved, people whose lives God has touched, here's what happens. We, out of love for God, seek to obey Him. And that is our, our response to actually having God touch our lives and change our lives and forgive us, is that we walk with Him. But see, sometimes we will talk about positionally, well, God has saved us, but we will live a life that is totally contrary to the Word of God and then still think that things are okay between uh, between us and God. And things are not okay between us and God. And you can say, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to so many people and uh, you've had people say, you know, well, I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade in 1971 or I got baptized by Reverend so-and-so. And it's like, listen, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized so many times and you know all the fish in the sea by name. It doesn't matter. Listen, the, the issue is, are you, are you, ha, a life that God has changed will be different than a life that, that has not allowed God in, 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 to, to, to change them. They, it will be star, there will be a stark difference. And sometimes what we do, and we'll do this even as Christians if we're not really walking with the Lord, is that we'll take this incredible gift that God gives to us of salvation, and here's what we'll do. is that we'll tr- we, we will not, really, we'll not obey God, and we'll treat it as though it's worthless. It's kind of like what happens with my son. My son has this obsession with the toilet. Um, And and, and here's what I mean. The first thing that he does is that everything that he finds when he's done playing with it, he throws it in the bathtub. does not matter what it is. The other day, I found one of my shoes in the bathtub. That's just because everything goes in the bathtub. If I could figure out a way to get him to redirect that into his toy box, we got something. You know, but I got nothing so far because he throws everything into the toy box. But the other thing is this, like uh, we use uh, years ago, my mom bought us this, uh, you know, like those sonic hair toothbrush things. And so, you know, you have the base and then you got to buy the refillable uh, toothbrush heads. Well, those toothbrush heads are like 10 bucks a piece and because we're like high tech about oral hygiene, you know, but uh, so we bought one of those things. And uh, and so what happens is that Carrie got a, brand, a new toothbrush head for herself, like why well, I didn't get one, that's. A question for another time but she got a brand new one and she was going to use it well my, my son walks in to, to the to the bathroom and he just grabs it and he's walking around with it and he's just kind of playing with it whatever and then he takes it and he drops it in the toilet brand new she had not actually used it yet and so she's she, she i hear no Sandor, what did you do i hear all of this and then um, I come in, and, she, and I'm like, "What happened?" She's like, "He dropped the brand new Sonicare toothbrush into the toilet." And I'm like, "Well, what did you do?" And she's like, "Well, I threw it away." And I'm like, "You know, those things cost ten bucks." And she's like, "Yeah, I know. What am I supposed to do?" And I'm like, "Well, rinse it off." And I'm like, "Put it through the dishwasher or something." And she's like, "Would you want to use it?" And I'm like, "No way. That thing's been in the toilet." And she's like, "Well, why are you gonna make me use it?" I'm like, "Cause it costs ten bucks." And anyway, so, but she says like, when Zan, when the thing happened, the thing that made me come over is I hear, uh, you know how like sometimes you just, something happens, it's like happening in slow motion, but she's, Xander's like dropping it in the toilet and I hear, no. So I come over and, and, and she says, Xander, why? That's a $10 toothbrush. And he goes, he's just so happy with himself that he threw something and it hit, you know. And, um, but here's the thing that happens. Christians who take this free gift of salvation that we've been given and just treat it like it doesn't matter and live however they want. It's like taking something valuable and just tossing it in the toilet. And listen, the way that we honor God, the way that we show God, I, I, I love you. Thank you for all that you've done for me is, listen, by obeying his commands. Not because it's what earns us salvation. It doesn't. But it's simply a way to show God that we love him and that we really believe him. And it's why he says that we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's, what we, that's the next picture. I'll show you the, the first picture I showed you. Um, and in this one right here, which is coming up shortly, there it is. Um, you see that it's not just the shoes, but it's the shoes and the, this, these, this uh, protection all the way up to his knees. So it's kind of like if you, can, you, know, if you ever play baseball, like what a catcher would wear uh, to protect his knees and protect his shins and all of that. But the idea is this. The the idea of it being our feet ready with the gospel of peace, not only does it mean that we're ready to go somewhere and share the gospel, but it's that with every step we take, we recognize that as believers that we have peace with God. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into faith, into his grace in which we now stand, and we we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Of God. Now, here's the thing. Listen, when you know that you've been forgiven by God and you're at peace with Him, it gives us confidence to be able to stand in the truth because we know that we're loved by Him no matter what. So life is about what? It's about standing for truth, but it's about something else. Look at verse 16. It says this. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want you to note, And that is this, is that life is about, if we're going to rethink life, life is about experiencing God. It's about experiencing God. And by the way, there's some things that cannot be experienced without actually doing them. Now, I found this website this week, and I, sometimes I'm just amazed at like what you can find but there is actually a website about how to, learning how to swim online. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. How do you actually learn to swim online? I'm going to show you right now. Now, on this website, is this is three steps. You know, it's, it's three lessons. It's three different types that you, three different, uh, you know, types of uh, 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 of things you can learn to swim. Now I am going to show you uh, the breaststroke. This is how I learned to swim, and I, I did not touch water. This is all online on how to, how to do this. Now, if you want, this is, this is step one in learning the This is leg movement, and that is to move your feet and legs together like a frog would. See? Just kind of move, moving it around. Now, simply bend your knees and lift your feet up as far as your posterior, and turn your feet out in preparation for the pushing back of the bottom of your foot, By the way, this is all copy and pasted from their website. Um, Now, move your feet out and in again to meet each other. Straighten your legs with your knees touching. Step one. Step two, arm movement. Start out by placing your hands out in front of you with your palms facing down. Now, push both hands out and around as if drawing a circle. And then finish your hands by stretching forward again. Look at this. You're all learning to swim right now. Now, step three, breathing. Breathing. Once you've mastered the leg and arm movements, you will notice that your head begins to lift naturally at the end of the cycle. You see how that happens? This is so natural as I'm swimming. So natural. And then when this occurs, simply lift your face and take a breath. That's so easy. Look out, Phelps. Now, step four. The last step is to put the stroke together. So pull your arms and breathe in while pushing your leg, and then stretching out your body. And then I said to myself, "I have now learned to swim." And you know what? You know what the thing is. I thought to myself after reading this, the person who wrote this is completely insane. And you know what the weird thing is? Is that I actually I I, I had this idea, and so I typed in Google, "Learn to swim online." 371,000 hits. You know what that tells me? The whole world is insane. There are people trying to learn to swim on the Internet. You've got a better chance standing in your shower to learn how to swim than you do standing behind your computer to learn to swim. I mean, and it's like, what is the world coming to? I don't even know. What, what, what is next? I, like, these are the things that keep me up at night. These are the things that keep me up. There are people, good people, who say, how can I help humanity? I know. I'll start a website teaching people how to swim behind their desk. This will be good. You see, this is just, God needs, Jesus needs to come back. Because what is it coming to? Um, Jesus, help us. We're learning to swim online. Um, now, but the same thing is true. Like, you would recognize, like, this, thing, it ain't, you ain't, if you don't have water, you're not going to learn how to swim. The same thing is true when it comes to knowing God. When it comes to experiencing God, you've got to trust Him you've got to take a step. You don't experience God sitting on the couch or standing on the sidelines. If you want to really experience God, you've got to find out what God is doing and then jump in. And that's what the last three pieces of armor are about. It's a shield of faith, it's a helmet of salvation, and it's a sword of the Spirit. Armor for people who are engaged in the battle. When you see a football player and he takes his helmet off, that doesn't mean he's going into the game, it means he's coming out of it. And in the same way, when you put your helmet on, it means you're getting into, uh, in, into the battle. And so the first thing he mentions is to put on the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, this is what the shield would look like. Uh, this is a replica, of course, and it would usually be made of leather. And they would oil it in such a way so that when the enemy would fire its darts, that it would, just be, it would hit the shield and be extinguished um, because of that. But you may not notice this, but you may notice that it's slightly beveled here on the side. I'll show on this side uh, as well. You see that it's slightly beveled. Now the reason is is because now these were usually about four and a half feet tall and two and a half feet wide. They were pretty big shields. But the point was is that when a Roman soldier came under fire, that he could kneel down and that the shield would actually be able to protect him from all of the darts. But the other thing that's important is this: these shields were beveled in such a way so that when um, you had several soldiers, they could actually link all of their shields together and form this, um, this wall that was impenetrable. And the point that Paul is talking about here, when he talks about the shield of faith, he's talking about faith to be able to go to the front lines. Faith that says, God, I believe you. And God, I, I'm actually going to take a step and in, in, in walk in, in, your, in your direction and where it is that you're leading me to go. The Bible says, it's in your notes, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, and without faith it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that God exists and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And the way that you decide whether you have faith in someone or something is by observing them, observing their actions, observing their character and saying, do I trust you or don't I? My family and I were in Boston this summer And we did a trolley tour of the city. Uh, I was doing some teaching up in New England, and I had a couple of days off. And um, so we did this trolley tour of the city of Boston. tells you all this history about the city. But we go across this bridge, which is a really – it's one of the oldest bridges in the city of Boston. And the the guy who's doing the the, the trolley tour says, how many of you remember this bridge? And he named the bridge that fell in, uh, in, in Minnesota a couple of years ago. And everybody said, yeah, we remember when that happened, when that bridge collapsed. And he said, well, the government actually did a, had a a study done of all of the bridges in, uh, in, in the United States to see which was the next to go. Like, which was the next weakest bridge that is probably going to collapse. And he says, would you like to know which bridge it is? And he says, and so everybody said, yeah, we'd like to know. He says, it's the one that you're on. And I thought, like, and we're sitting in, like, Boston traffic, bumper to bumper. People are, like, moving around. And I'm thinking, like, everybody stay still. Don't move. You know, and then you got people, you know, you got one guy with hydraulics. Like, dude, stop that right now. You're, this whole thing's going down. And I'm telling you, this is the thing, the thing that happens. Is, and Because I was looking at this bridge. That thing was hanging on by a thread. It was all rust. It was all, the rust was just keeping it together. It was a mat, only a matter of time before that thing collapsed. And here's the deal. When it comes to God, you you look at God and you say, I see everything that you've done in the lives of others. I see how you proved your love for me by sending your son to die on a cross. I see what you've done in the scriptures and the promises that you make. But at some point we have to decide, do I trust him or not? Because listen, when a circumstance comes that we don't understand and we're not really sure what the right step to take is, we, we, we decide if we really have taken up the shield of faith and said, God, I'm taking a step of faith because I trust you. Or we decide not to. When it comes to finances and, and you know, things are happening in, in our economy with recessions and things like that, what do we do? I mean, do we say, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you and be a good steward of what you've entrusted to me or am I going to do something else? When the future is uncertain, what, what am I going to do? Listen, because we don't know what the future holds, but here's what I know, is that we do know who holds the future and that he's one that we can trust no matter what. That's why the Bible would tell us in, uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2, it would tell us this in Romans chapter 1 in your notes, it says that the righteous will live by faith. And he mentions the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet of salvation, here's what the helmet would look like. Um, I used to have a haircut like this back when I had hair. But the cool thing about the, the helmet was, is that th- there was this part here, you'll see it over here as well, is that this part of the Roman helmet would actually cover their ears. Now, why that's important is because um, we have an enemy, Satan, who loves to condemn us. You see, when, even, the, even when you become a Christian, guess what? You're, you're not going to be perfect. You're still going to sin. You're still going to fumble and fail at times. It happens to everyone. And what happens is, is that there's two things that can happen. One is, is that we feel condemnation, and that is that we, we, we fail, and then we hear a voice that says to us, you are a complete loser. How God could love you is even beyond imagining. That's condemnation. And let me tell you something, that is not from God. Then there's another voice that says, hey, what you did is wrong. But you've been forgiven. Let's get up and let's try again. You see, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is something that the Holy Spirit does as the Holy Spirit is living in us. The Spirit, when, we, when we sin, the Spirit of God convicts us, which leads us to repentance and change. What happens when Satan condemns us and that leads to then just self-loathing and uh, not, do, not doing anything and just this depression. And listen, that is not, not conviction is from the Spirit of God and leads to change. Condemnation leads us to just feeling bad and not changing anything. That's why the Bible says this in in, uh, Revelation chapter 12. It says that uh, Satan is the accuser of believers. But here's what the Bible teaches us. It says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, should a Christian feel guilty when he sins? Yes, of course we should. We've sinned against the holy God that we we love. But here's what happens. We shouldn't stay there and live there conviction picks us up and says, let's change. The Bible says, though a righteous man fall seven times, yet he will rise. Condemnation does something else, though. It just pounds the guilt on and leaves us there. And that is not from God. And that's why, lastly, the Bible talks about uh, Paul talks about the sword of the spirit. Now, before you start thinking of like the movie gladiator had like this giant three foot sword you know or the movie highlander or something which that, that's not the case um here's the the sword that he's talking about this is what a roman soldier would have right here is the it's right here there it is um and, and it's this about an 18 inch dagger and this 18 inch dagger this was what Roman soldiers, they carried this. All Roman foot soldiers carried this. It was a short little dagger. And here's what it was. This, they were so trained in this, they could use this thing like a scalpel. They were so skilled in hand-to-hand combat with this, um, with the, with this short dagger-type sword. But he says this, that and taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, here's what I want to tell you. This is what's so important, is that this sword of the Spirit is not the entire Bible, even though the Bible does liken the Scriptures to um, a, a sword, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But this, what, he, what this is talking about, you see, when, when the Bible is referring to the Scriptures, it talks about the word, it means it's the word logos. That's not the, the Greek word that Paul uses. He uses the, the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And the word rhema refers to a specific word. So see, when someone comes up to you and they're discouraged... And they're confused, and they don't know what to do, and their relationship has just gone south, and they're, they're, they're depressed, and they don't know what's happening, and they don't know if they're loved, and they have this situation they need to deal with. And they come to you, and, and you say, you know, the Bible actually says this, and you give them the specific word. It's like you're using a scalpel and cutting out something that could potentially harm them. Listen, that's the rhema word that Paul is using. Not the totality of, of Scripture. He's talking about a specific Scripture. And that's the thing that he's referring to. And he says now, and here's the, one, one last thing I want to tell you, because this is, this, is like the, this is like the big dramatic scene. But he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Then here's the last part. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I was made an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly and speak as I ought. Uh, Verse 21, it says, But that you may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love from faith from God, the father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. Number three is that life is about connecting to God. It's about connecting to God. And here's how he says that we connect with him. He says, praying, Always with all prayer and supplication. He also says that with all perseverance, that is, taking what we know and doing it. And then he says that I may be an ambassador for Christ and speak as I should. He's talking about preaching. And then he says for the peace of God to be with us. And he talks about peace. And a lot of times we don't feel like we're connected to God and we have to wonder are are, are we praying? Are we persevering? Are we preaching and, and living in such a way that connects to God? And then lastly, are we experiencing the peace of God? Now, there's one last thing I want to tell you about the armor. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you. Um, is that in this armor that we've just covered, there's nothing for your back. Everything that we've been talking about is protection on the front. And you say, well, why is that? And the reason is simply this, is because God has got your back. Now I don't say that. Listen, I don't say that just because like, oh, God's got your back. Like that's like kind of like a, a glib phrase that we use. That's actually what the scriptures teach. It's not in your notes. I'm going to just have you jot down Isaiah fifty two, verse twelve, but here's what it says. It says you will not go away in a hurry, and you will not nor will you go away quickly. The Lord will go ahead of you, the God of Israel will guard you from behind. Now here's the deal. The deal is this is that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run away from the challenges that you're facing. Listen, if you're seeking to honor God and obey His commands, here's the promise that you have, is that He's got your back. Um, Most of us know a guy by the name of King David. Uh, David, the guy who defeated Goliath, right? We, We know that story in 1 Samuel 17. But here's what many people don't know, is that David was actually not his name. David's name is actually Elhanan. Um, and, uh, if you say, well, are you sure that's right? Well, you can go to first Chronicles chapter 20 and you'll read about a guy named Elhanan who defeated, uh, Goliath, the Philistine. So what, why do they, and, and have, cause have, have you ever thought about this? Maybe you haven't thought about this, but David isn't a very Jewish name, right? Like Samuel, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are names that th- those are, those are Jewish names, Right. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, those are Jewish names. David is not a very Jewish name. But see, he was actually given the name David. David is actually a nickname that that he was given. His birth name was Elhanan, a a name that means God of mercy. But he was given the name David, a name that means beloved, a name that means champion. Because he went... I want you to think about this. He went into this battle, into the Valley of Elah to fight Goliath, named Elhanan. But he came out as the champion. And in fact, after David defeated... El, uh, after he defeated Goliath, there is a song that was written about him, if you remember, uh, right? after, As he was... They changed his name to champion. And it says, We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers. We are the champions. Oh, wait. That's not the wrong song. Um... That's queen. Uh, But no, they, they write this song about him. And here's what it says. It says, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his what? Ten thousands. He became their champion. That's why they gave him the name, the beloved champion, David. And see, what's the point? The point is this. God has given you all of this armor. He's given you a belt of truth. He's given you a breastplate of righteousness to know what God, that, that you, are, things are right between you and God. A helmet of salvation. He's given you shoes which re- represent the gospel. He's given you a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And listen, and the issue is really this. It's that if you want victory in your life, you may have to do some battle. If you want victory over a particular sin, here's what's going to have to happen. You may have to do some battle and get drastic and radical about it. If you say, but you don't understand, there are some challenges that I'm facing, then here's what may have to happen. You may have to slay a giant or two for that to take place. But here's what you've got to know. This is what this whole message has been teaching us, what this whole book of Ephesians has been teaching us, is that you may need to slay a giant or two, but guess what? You are not alone. God has got your back. That's what a little kid named Elhanan decided to do when he went into the valley of Elah with a sling and five stones. And when the giant said to him, Today I'm going to cut off your head and give it to the birds, David said to him, No, today I'm going to cut off your head and give it to the birds because you have defied the name of the God of Israel. David didn't even have a sword. So his understanding was, I'm going to take yours and cut your head off. That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of courage that happens when you recognize this kind of armor that God gives you and realize that you're not in this, you're not doing life alone. Instead, God has got your back. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you for that truth and for that reality. That even as we sang, that if God is for us, who could be against us? That whatever comes our way, we know that you are with us. And so God, we ask, empower us, encourage us, strengthen us for what's going to take place in our lives. For we don't know, but you do. May we put on this armor and know that with every step we take, that you've got our back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.